Uh, if you would stand with me, please. Being a Raider fan, I can't root for any one of them, so. so now I'm really in trouble, I know. But uh, look at Luke chapter 21. This is a message on prophecy. So uh, bear with me as we dive into this subject, but pretty vital and important for this uh, time that we live in. Luke chapter 21, verse 5. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you're not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, all on the count of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. Let those in the country not enter the city, for this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations." Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up. And lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here this morning. Thank you, Lord, that the Bible says that you dwell in the praises of your people. And Lord, we lift up the name of Jesus. We need your Holy Spirit to help us to do that. We worship the Father for his redemptive plan to save us from our sins. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as the Bible prophesied that you would come a first time, 
at Bethlehem to die on the cross, to rise from the dead. The Bible also prophesies that you will come a second time. And we are nearing that event, Lord. Lord, there's much turbulence and anxiety and fear everywhere. And I just ask that your Holy Spirit would fill us with hope. We just sang about hope. Jesus, your return is called the blessed hope. And we long for that and we wait for that. And in the meantime, I ask that words of life, joy, peace, shalom would flow through our lives to people who have no hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to talk about some prophecy uh, issues today that arise out of Luke 21. And before I dive into that um, specific passage and and see what Jesus is talking about there, I kind of want to give this if you will, bubble overview, wide angle lens of prophecy issues at large, uh, just uh, so we can throw this out and kind of know, you know, this is the big picture. And then here, this is what's going on here in Luke uh, 21. And I wrote a list down just to to give you that. And uh, in 2 Peter 3.3, Peter says, in the last days, scoffers will say, uh, where is the sign of his coming? Okay, so we live in a generation of skepticism and doubt and nobody knows for sure and every opinion is valid, supposedly, and that's a generation of scoffers that question the word of God, that uh, believe, well, you know, that's nice for you, but, you know, we don't really know if that's true or not. And you can read that in 2 Peter 3.3. So that's the pervading attitude of the generation, okay, of many, okay, uh, and so that's where we're at. First Thessalonians 4 talks about the rapture of the church, of believers being lifted up to heaven, meeting the Lord in the air, okay? And uh, of course, the big question that always comes up in prophecy issues is, when is that going to happen? I personally believe it will happen before the tribulation, okay? I'm open to discussion about that. There's others that don't necessarily believe that, okay? One of the things we're going to stress again and again, and I always do with prophecy issues, is there's no disagreement about the deity of Jesus. There's no disagreement that the grace of God is received by faith because of what Jesus did on the cross. There's no disagreement about the virgin birth, the inerrancy of scripture. There's no compromise on those things. Okay, they are the bedrock foundation of the Christian faith and of the church of Jesus Christ. When we talk about prophecy, we can have lots of discussions and, and, and seeing things differently, okay? I'm going to give you a quote from Tim LaHaye in a moment, okay? And he mentions this in one of his books, okay? You know Tim LaHaye, he wrote with Jerry Jenkins, the Left Behind series. It's probably sold 40 to 50 million copies, okay, in the last few years, Okay. And the thing that I think is fantastic about the Left Behind series and the wide audiences that it's hit is it's provoked people's thinking about the issue of prophecy. People that would probably never darken the door of a church, maybe are not even concerned about spiritual things, have read those books and thought, maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's something to this second coming of Jesus, okay? And it's provoked all kinds of coffee table conversations and uh, what over the last several years. And I think that's good. 
and that needs to be done, and I think God used that series uh, for that. So we're in a generation of scoffing. Oh, where's Jesus? You know, where's the sign of his coming? Uh, the rapture, I believe, will happen before the tribulation. The wrath of God is going to be poured out on the unrepentant and evil in the world in the tribulation. And I believe in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Thessalonians 5, that God has not appointed us to wrath. Okay, the wrath is going to be poured out. God's going to withdraw us uh, from that. That's not to say that I don't believe Christians are going to suffer. We are going to suffer. Okay? All throughout the, the age of the church, Christians have suffered for their faith, okay, and been called to, to testify of Christ in difficult circumstances. And I believe that's going on now all around the world, and I believe it will go, get worse. Okay? Uh, I remember during COVID when, when we couldn't have church and, you know, there was a lot of fear and uncertainty about that. And I'm not saying I didn't feel it myself, okay? My challenge to myself and to all of us was this. If you will take the time to sit with Jesus and your Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to come and help you, you will experience the peace of God, okay? That is available to every believer, in the worst of times, the darkest of times, if you will sit with Jesus and quietly open his word, focus on Christ, pray, ask the Holy Spirit to come, I guarantee you the peace of God will speak to you. Okay? If you're a fly-by-night, daily bread, 30 seconds with Jesus, and then charge out to your day, you're not going to have God's peace. It's just the way it is. Because you are spending the bulk of your 24 hours every day in all the other stuff that's going on in life and then throwing Jesus a teaspoon here and there. You are just going to be just as fearful as everyone else in the world. And I challenge you, we are going to see a phenomenal harvest for the kingdom of God in the coming years, but you've got to give something in your heart that you can give away that's reality to you. You've got to be able to say somebody, Jesus has changed my life. I have experienced the peace of God. He's changed my life. He is real. You've got to be able to say that yourself. Don't say, call Pastor Drew. He'll explain it to you. <laughs> I will be glad to meet with anyone that calls me. Okay, But I am saying it should come from your own heart and your own life and your own lips, and your own experience, that Jesus is real, that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus changes lives, okay? Incredible harvest is going to happen uh, for those things. I was listening to Joel Rosenberg a couple weeks ago. He's a Jewish man. He was in Jerusalem and giving a report on the Gaza-Israeli uh, war that was going on. And he addressed this question that's been given to him in the past few months. Is this the Ezekiel 38-39 war? Okay, And he began it by saying, I don't know. He gets himself off of the hook right away. Okay, but he said, I don't know if it is, but if Russian troops come into Lebanon and begin supporting this war and adding their armaments and troops to this war, it could be. And I think that's a wise answer, okay? Because that conflict is going on and, 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 and that's a possibility. Uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to Israel a couple years ago and we stood on the top of Mount Carmel, okay, and we looked down into the valley, the valley of Megiddo, okay, where Armageddon will take place, okay, that is described in Ezekiel uh, 38 and 39. 
our, our guide was a Jewish man and, and very bright and, and funny and whatever. And as we're standing up there, I chuckled because he said, that's where Armageddon's going to take place according to the Bible, okay? And he says, I live way over there. So, and he said, if Armageddon happens, you can come and stay at my house. Well, he was being tongue-in-cheek, and we all chuckled, okay? But it was just fascinating to hear that perspective on biblical events. He's not a Christian. He doesn't believe in Jesus. But he said, come and stay with me, uh, and, and we'll have lots of room uh, if Armageddon uh, happens, okay? And you can read more about that in Revelation 16. Antichrist. What are we talking about? We're talking about Antichrist. This person that is going to rise up as a world leader during the tribulation. Okay, he's going to make a covenant with the Jewish people. Okay, halfway through that seven years, he's going to break that. Okay, and begin to persecute Jews. I was listening to J.D. Farad, Farad last night, a, a, a Muslim, an Arab man who came to Christ. Okay, a lot of fantastic prophecy things that he has on his website and, and his broadcast. And he mentioned this. He said, when those Jews escape Jerusalem, that have come to Christ, or maybe not to come to Christ, okay? They are going to flee, okay, uh, uh, to uh, Petra, which is an area in the Middle East. And he said, and they're going to flee that persecution that's going to happen. And he said, some Christians have actually taken Bibles to Petra and put them there. So when those Jews show up fleeing persecution in the Antichrist, they can open a Bible and say, oh, well, this is right here, what's happening, Okay and will help them come to know Jesus and, and be saved. And that was J.D. Farad's uh, opinion and perspective on that. Second coming of Christ, okay? Uh, uh, Revelation 19, Zechariah 14, 4. A great white throne judgment. Every human being that has always ever existed or ever will exist will stand before the Lord at the great white throne judgment, uh, okay? And uh, 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 that's described in Revelation 20. And the last thing is... Revelation 21 and 22, the new heaven and the new earth. Let me give you a, a quote from Tim LaHaye, which I thought uh, was helpful, okay, because we're going to be looking at this issue of time. And you'll notice in the scripture that we just read in Luke 21 and verse 6, 6 it says, the time will come, okay? He gets a question about the temple uh, uh, and what's going to happen and blah, 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 and he says the time will come. And then in verse 27, it says, at that time. Now, why do I pull out those two phrases, the time will come and at that time? Bible prophecy always comes down to what time do you think Jesus is referring to? Everybody say amen. amen. I just want to get a little response. It's getting real quiet in here, okay? It always comes down to what time is Jesus speaking of? Is he speaking of the present time there with the disciples and the Roman Empire? Or is he talking about a time way in the future? Okay? And good people that are good Bible scholars and understand prophecy can sometimes misread that. Okay? Is he talking about that time there? Or is he talking where in the, where in the future? Okay? My thinking is on process on this. Lynn Bryan has a take on it. Ken Comer has been a pastor for many years. I don't see Jim Bean this morning. He's a Calvary Chapel pastor. Okay, so different Christians have different takes on this, and that's fine. 
No disagreement on the cross, the deity of Jesus, the virgin birth, the inerrancy of scripture, but on prophecy, we can have lots of debates about that, okay? And that's so important, uh, but prophecy is important because what does it do? It rattles people's cage a little bit to say, stuff on this old planet Earth is not gonna go on forever, folks. We are on a prophetic timetable, okay? Now, I've talked with young people over the years, and I can remember feeling it myself back in the 70s, is I hate prophecy because it's all doom and gloom and everything is terrible and, and blah, 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 blah. I'm with you. In the 70s, there was, we were off the uh, end of, uh, of, of Hal Lindsey, the great late planet Earth, all kinds of prophetic fervor, things in the Middle East were nuts. And I was like 24 years old, and I was like, geez, the world's blowing up. Jesus is coming back tomorrow. You know, it just sounded awful. Well, I'm 64 and I'm still here. I don't doubt for a second Jesus is coming back. He is. And the events are ramping up or intensifying all around the earth. But I am more confident than I've ever been in my life that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he will return and that he is working and that he's present and available for the power of the Holy Spirit. And friends, when somebody comes, I sat down with a friend just a few days ago and said, are you really born again? This is what the Bible says. And you know what this friend of mine said? He said this. My mom used to tell me if I was a good boy, I would go to heaven. Is that true? If you're a good boy or girl, girl, do you go to heaven? I hope you're shaking your head no, because that is not what the Bible says. We're all sinners. We need the grace of God. It's a free gift, okay? Uh, uh, and, and people don't, don't know what the Bible says, and you need to tell them, and I need to tell them. And the harvest is ripe uh, for to, to tell people that. So Tim LaHaye mentions this in his book, okay? Uh, Understanding Bible Prophecy for Yourself, okay? I like the phrase for yourself because the goal is, and my goal is, you open the Bible yourself, you study it for yourself, you feed on it yourself, you figure it out yourself, okay? Don't just say, go talk to Pastor Drew because I don't know. Because the deposit of the Holy Spirit that's in you needs to be nurtured and stirred to life and understanding for the scripture. What does 2 Timothy 2.5 say? A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Okay? I've heard Marsha Lloyd teach this to Awana kids for years. What does that mean? Searching the scriptures, studying the scriptures, handling the scriptures. And you know what? why that warning is needed? Because some people mishandle the scriptures and bend it to their own needs. And we always come to the scripture and say, Lord, show us what this is saying. What is the context? What time is Jesus referring to? That present time or way into the future? Let me read this. We might as well deal right at the beginning with the time. There's that word time of Christ's coming, the most controversial aspect of our Lord's second coming. Few, if any, Christian scholars do not recognize the fact of his coming in the earth. The main controversy surrounds the subject of when. Okay, another time reference, when he will return. And that includes whether he will come for his church, 
for all Christian believers at one point in the future and then come for everyone else at a later date or whether he will come for his church and all our believers at the same time. It is imperative to point out that fine Christians are to be found on almost all sides of this issue. It is also important to realize that while we can be uh, dogmatic about such doctrines as the virgin birth, the deity of the Lord Jesus, the inerrancy of scripture, the need to be born again, salvation by grace through faith, certain other doctrines, including the fact of our Lord's second coming, this does not mean that we can be totally dogmatic about the time. Uh, that's exactly what I've been saying for years. I think Tim Leahy got that from me. <laughs> or maybe I got it from him, I don't know. Folks, crucial, okay? Crucial. Timing is the issue. When is the issue? And different Christians see these things differently, okay? And that's okay. Let it provoke us. And he ends that section by saying we can love each other, respect each other, learn from each other, and see prophecy from different uh, takes. Okay, look at your outline there. Okay, uh, what we have there in Luke 21 is this. Some of his disciples were remarking, verse 5, how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. Okay, so this same account is in <clears throat> Matthew 24 and Mark 13. Now, why do I list that, okay? Okay, it's not on your outline there, but Mark 13, Mark, excuse me, Mark 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. Because when we study scripture, if we have the same account in another book of the Gospels, you want to read that one too. And you want to lay them all side by side because it's going to flesh out a beautiful mosaic of all the things that Jesus is saying. Matthew's focusing on one thing, Mark's another, Luke uh, 21's another, okay? But they all flesh together, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to give us this full picture of this historical account. And the disciples are walking by the temple, okay? And Jesus comments in verse 6, As for what you see here, the time will come. You could underline that if you'd like to. The time will come. Okay, when not one stone will be left on another, every one of them will be thrown down. Okay, and then they respond back to Jesus. Teacher, when will these things happen? Okay, the classic question of all prophecy, when is this going to happen? When is the mark of the beast? When is the Antichrist? When is this coming? When is all these things? Okay, always come down to issues of timing. Okay, and that's why we get so many different opinions on that. And that's why it's so crucial that we say, is Jesus referring to that specific historical time when he's on the earth, or is he pointing way to the future? Okay, and what I'm going to take you to, and look at verse 27 in Luke 21, at that time. So we got a time period when Jesus is alive, and then we got a pivot where he's pointing way to the future, because what does it say? At that time, verse 27, they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Did the Son of Man come in Jesus' time? He came the first time, but he goes to heaven after his redemptive work is done, and then we have this long time period, which is considered the times of the Gentiles or the church age, okay? And then end times events, and then the Son of Man returns. Are you with me? Yeah. I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but bear with me. Please follow along in your Bible, okay? And we're going to try to get a handle on this, and I hope it provokes some more study for you. 
In your first blank there on your outline, Jesus answers the immediate question and gives an additional answer regarding his second coming. Okay? The immediate question, what did they say? Okay, look at all this, these temples, these beautiful stones, okay? Okay, and then he says, not one will be left on another. The time will come. What he's referring to is in AD 70, okay, there was uprisings going all over the place in the Jewish world, and the Romans said, enough is enough. We're going to go in and start burning some things down and, and, and quelling this uprising. Okay, in AD 70, okay, Titus, the Roman emperor, came in and encircled Jerusalem, okay, and the place was leveled. Millions of Jewish people died in that, okay, uh, and uh, uh, many were taken away in slavery, okay? And a short time later, about three years later, actually, uh, up on Masada, some of you have seen the movie Masada, okay? Uh, a powerful, uh, uh, disturbing movie, but true, okay? And my wife and I also got to see Masada a couple years ago when we were there. It's this high mountain that comes up, and it's flat on the top, Okay? And it had been a place where Roman emperors had lived, like a summer palace and things like that. But in AD 73, about three years after that, okay, about 900 Jewish people went up there and fled and hid there from the Romans who were killing Jews everywhere they went. Okay, and the Romans found them there and, have, and built this huge dirt embankment, okay, uh, uh, way up to the top, and they got to the top, and they found that they had all uh, been murdered or killed themselves, okay, because they decided we do not want to go into captivity or be slaves or be murdered by the Romans, okay? And that's Masada, and you can see uh, there's a movie about that, I think, on YouTube uh, that you can watch. We were actually there, and it's a, it's a beautiful spot, okay, but it actually happened, okay? Jesus answers the immediate question and gives an additional answer regarding his second coming. So he responds to the events of, a, of Titus in AD 70 about the temple being leveled, about not one stone being left on another, okay? But then he goes on, as I mentioned in verse 27, at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. So we've got an immediate response to this situation and then we've got to jump some 2,000 years forward. And that's why prophecy is so difficult and so confusing and there's so much debate. You've got to read it and say, what is Jesus referring to? What time period is he talking about? The next blank there, Jesus was initially speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. And the next blank there, his words pivoted to the second coming pivoted to the second coming in verse 27. Okay, the disciples got more than they bargained for. They just wanted some thoughts about the temple here and how beautiful it was. And they got a response about AD 70, okay? And then they got a response about 2,000 years later. And I'm sure their heads were spinning. Like, what is going on here? What is he talking about, okay? Jump forward, if you will, and see what he says next in verses 8 uh, through 24, okay? And I have the word there, preterist, okay? Okay, and I came into uh, contact, if you will, uh, a few years ago with this concept of preterism, okay? Uh, and, and it was a... Uh, uh, a book by uh, uh, Harold Eberly. I met him up in Portland a few years ago. Had a great visit with him, okay? But he uh, talks about what he calls a partial preterist 
view. Okay, preterist from, comes from a Latin word that means already happened. Now, the important part of the thing is, is a lot of prophecy teachers push this whole thing 2,000 years forward, okay, into the future. Completely ignoring the present context of what Jesus is talking about. It's not in your outline, but if you'd like to write the word context, very important, C-O-N-T-E-X-T. If we're going to be good Bible students and interpret the Bible correctly, we've got to know what the context is. What is going on before and what is going on after the specific words we're studying. More Bible miscues, bad theology, misunderstanding has come from people ignoring the context. Who is talking? Who is he talking to? What is the flow of the discussion that's happening? Folks, you got to embed your thinking and your mind into the text and saying, who is talking? What is the context? What is happening here? If we're going to be good students of scripture, okay? So this gentleman, Harold Eberly, in his book, Victorious Exitology, it takes this partial preterist view, which makes sense to me, okay? And that some of this is directly from Jesus's time. AD 70, Titus drilling Jerusalem. And some of it goes way to the future. And I use the word pivot there, okay, in verse 27, because it pivots from the immediate historical context of what Jesus is talking about way to the future, okay? So look at your outline in the second section. Are the verses pointing to an immediate or long-range fulfillment? Are the verses pointing to an immediate or long-range fulfillment? Some, some of you are thinking, Drew, you know, you're kind of going on and on about this, and can we go get ready for the Super Bowl? <laughs> Friends, this happens all through the Bible. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passage. Okay, we sometimes read it at communion. By his stripes, we are healed. Isaiah was living in a certain time period, okay? And he's going on about all kinds of things that are going on in his generation and what's happening and idolatry and uh, the Jewish people are not really following God or whatever. And then he jumps in Isaiah 52, 53, hundreds of years forward and is suddenly talking about Jesus. So those of you who think that I'm just up here moaning and waiting for my Super Bowl party to come, uh, uh, that's not true. If you're going to properly understand the Bible, you've got to know what the context is. You've got to know what is he talking about? What's the time period? Okay. And in Isaiah 52 and 53, you read it for yourself. All this stuff about Isaiah's immediate situation. And then we have a jump hundreds of years forward to the suffering servant. Okay. So you got to do this if you're going to understand the Bible. Okay. And not just skate over the words. Okay. The next section, the next blank there in that second section, preterist means already happened, okay? From a Latin word. Okay, we've got these words, okay? And Jesus, we see it happening there uh, in, in, in the, uh, this chapter of Luke 21. Short-term prophecies are described in verses 8 to 24, okay? So Jesus is talking in verses 8 to 24 in Luke 21 of what's happening in that immediate time period, okay? And then the next one there, end times prophecies are described in verses 24 uh, to 33, okay? Now you might contest that with me. Look at verse 10. 
Nations will rise against nations, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilence in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Okay? You could read that and say, well, Drew, that's going on today. How do you know it's back then? Okay? My contention here and how I'm contesting this is this. All throughout history, there's been earthquakes and famines and pestilences and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Are they increasing in some frequency now? Yes, I'll probably give you that. But all throughout history, AD 63, Pompeii was destroyed, the Italian city, by an earthquake. In the book of Acts, Paul makes reference to a famine. I think it's in chapter 11, okay? All throughout history... Now, this is what happens when we get kind of myopic and tunnel vision about today and as we read current events. Folks, there's been disturbances, tragedies, war, famines, earthquakes, signs in the heavens all throughout history. Folks, I don't know if you know it or not, but we live on a troubled planet. And it has been a troubled planet since Adam and Eve sinned. Cain killed his brother. And it's only gotten worse. Now, am I depressed? No. I have wrestled with these things, and they've upset me just like you. And you know what? I have found the presence of Jesus in the midst of it. He's real. He says, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. He is present. He's alive. His spirit is real. When I have been at some of the darkest moments of my life with anxiety or fear and depression, as I've called out to God, the presence of God has come into those moments and made himself real. I know this stuff works from personal experience. So, where is Jesus? If you know Jesus... He's residing in you. If you are born again, and if you've said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, come into my heart, the presence of God resides in you. And the Bible says, greater is he than he is in the world. Isaiah says, thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on him. What's your mind stayed on? Each day. What's happening in your mind? 2 Corinthians 10, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Friends, what goes on here is the most unruly thing about the human heart. Absolutely unruly. Absolutely out of control. And moment by moment, you'd best be saturating your mind in scripture, in worship, asking the Holy Spirit, and be aware. I feel a, I find a tragic uh, lack of self-awareness sometimes in, in our lives, in my own life. But I have friends that have mentored me and challenged me at different times where I realize my thoughts are stuck on something that is not healthy. Anger, resentment, worry, Fear, and I've had to learn to say, look, Drew, bring that back to Christ. Bring that back to his word. Bring that fear back into submission to the Lord of the universe. And I'm going to challenge you to do the same. You will sit with people that are living in abject fear and anxiety about the future. 
about all kinds of things. Open up a Bible and say, well, let's see what God has for us in his word. Philippians 4, I've been reading that since I was a little kid. Okay? Focusing on things that are true and right and just and of good report. Think on these things. And the peace of God, which overwhelmingly is beyond all understanding, will guard. I was sitting with the Iwana kids on Monday night, on Wednesday night, and we were talking. Uh, I can't remember what we were talking about, actually. But uh, I finally said to them, look, we were in the library. They said, pretend this is your heart. And you've asked Jesus to come into your heart and you're born again. And the presence of God is there. Well, what's going to hit your heart? Am I going to win my little league game tomorrow? Who's going to win the Super Bowl? What am I going to have for lunch? You know, all those things come in. Well, what happens if you have a fight on the playground with somebody? Well, you're going to be upset. And then what happens then? Well, anger comes in, worry, fear. Is it going to happen tomorrow? You have got to guard your heart lest all kinds of stuff comes in there and resides there and rests there and begins to dominate and control your life. You will be in bondage. I mean that literally. You may not be in a jail cell somewhere or in chains or in captivity, something else, but your mind and your life are in bondage to thoughts that are out of control about whatever it is. Jesus said, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. We can walk in freedom. We can experience freedom. We can know Jesus and we can take thoughts captive and say, no, that is not in agreement with the word of God. I need to forgive this person. I need to let this go. I need to take that worry and give it to Jesus and not live in it, okay? Otherwise, you're stumbling around just as messed up as everybody else in the world who all they do is watch the news and they walk around biting their nails saying, what's going to happen tomorrow? You know what? Let's not worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Let's just walk with Jesus today. That's what he wants us to do. And he even says, take no thought for your life. Do not worry. Go back to the next section there, the third section on your outline. Okay, uh, 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 8 to 24a, okay. You can fill in the blanks. We've read them already, but I'll give them to you. There was much crisis and chaos described in verses 9 through 11. My contention is he was talking about the crisis and chaos that was going on at that time in the immediate context of Jesus and the disciples, okay? What's the point of all this? The disciples are instructed to testify of Jesus. What does it say there? Verse 13. So you will bear testimony to me. Okay? Whatever's going on in the world, I think people are going to come up to you and say, why do you have peace? Why do you have a smile on your face? And I hope that you have the boldness to say, it's because Jesus is real. He died on the cross for my sins. He rose from the dead and he's coming again. Okay, the next blank there. See what it says. Roman soldiers surrounded Jerusalem in AD uh, 70. Okay, it was about 40 years later. Look at verse 20. See what it says. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Okay, 
all around Jerusalem, soldiers, they eventually breached the wall and there was a horrible massacre that happened and it's a known fact in history. Okay, the next blank, the destruction was prophesied in, May, in Matthew 23, 38, okay? Uh, go back to Matthew 23, 38 and see what it says. Bob, when does the Super Bowl party start at your house? All he said was no, so I guess I struck out with that. I was hoping for an invitation, but I haven't heard one. Oh. <laughs> oh, my. Can we stick with football, please? Okay, look at Matthew chapter 23, uh, verse 38. See what it says. Matthew 23, verse 38, Jesus is uh, blasting the Pharisees for their unbelief. And see what it says in verse uh, 38. Look, your house is left to you desolate. Same word that we see in Luke 21, okay? Jesus is prophesying and there's, there's judgment coming because generations of unbelief uh, from the Jews, okay, and hardness of heart from these Pharisees. Look back in Luke 19, Jesus says this in Luke 19, 41, okay, as he approached Jerusalem, this is Jesus, and saw the city, he wept over it. If you, had, if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. So this destruction is coming and it's prophesied uh, there, okay? Uh, uh, the destruction was prophesied in Matthew 23. Okay, and the last one there that I already mentioned, Masada. Some Jews escaped to Masada. You could write AD 73 there because it happened about three years after this uh, date. Okay, last section. Look at verse 24 and see what it says in Luke 21. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of, Gentile, of the Gentiles are fulfilled. What are we talking about? We are talking about the church age that we are living in now. Okay? We are living in the church age. God's redemptive plan all throughout the Old Testament was for the Jewish people. It's not that he didn't care about the Gentiles, okay? In fact, there's many accounts throughout the Old Testament where you will see Gentile people, non-Jewish people coming to the Lord, okay? And experiencing uh, the grace of God. But largely, the Old Testament is focused on the Jews and, 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 and the Old Covenant. In the New Testament, we have this uh, broadening out and read the book of Acts about this. Uh, of the gospel being spread to, uh, to Gentiles. And we are in that church age right now, okay? Look at the blank there on the bottom section. Every, just write the word every there. Every eye will see Jesus. Please turn to Revelation chapter one, okay? And I want you to see a couple of accounts because we're talking here about the second coming just as the first coming of Jesus was prophesied and fulfilled. The second coming of Jesus, okay, uh, is, is going to be uh, fulfilled, okay? And look at, uh, uh, let's see, Revelation 1, verse 7. Okay, what's the book of Revelation about? The revealing of Jesus. That's the whole point. 
We get caught up in all kinds of stuff, and it's fine, study it all. But a revelation is the clouds are pulled back, okay, the curtain is pulled back, and Jesus revealed. Now, if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, okay, Jesus has revealed to him, himself to you right now, okay? A revelation is you've experienced the person of Jesus by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? But there's a lot of blinded people in our world that think this is nonsense, okay? And their eyes are blinded, their hearts are darkened, they're filled with unbelief, okay? And they're not there yet, but this is what revelation is about. Jesus will be revealed, the Apostle Paul said, give me a revelation of the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of Christ. When I'm discouraged or having a bad day, I often pray with Paul of Ephesians, Jesus, give me a revelation of the love of Christ. Because you know what? The love of God is bigger than any problem you face. I was meditating on Psalms 116 a few days ago, and it says, what shall I repay to the Lord for all of his goodness to me? Would you meditate on that this week? Don't we get stuck on problems? At least I do. You look like you're people who are kind of in an advanced spiritual state. Maybe you don't, okay? I get stuck on issues and problems and things that need attention. And I have to stop, and I open Psalms 116, what will I repay to the Lord for all of his goodness to me? And I was moved inside and realized, God, you are a good God. You love me. You are with me. You are for me. You died, you rose from the dead. You are presently available by your Holy Spirit. So when you get stuck down a rabbit trail of problems and irritation and frustration or whatever, stop. Stop yourself. Okay? And read Psalms 116 because God has been good and God is good. And he is working to draw every person on the planet to salvation in Jesus. Look at Revelation 1 verse 7. Look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Oh, even those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. For those that are unrepentant and don't know Jesus, the second coming of Christ is going to be a disturbing moment. But the clouds are going to be peeled back and Jesus is going to come. Look at the book of Daniel. I know the kids are coming in. Uh, but a couple more things before we go. In the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 7, see what it says. Daniel chapter 7, verse, uh, that should be uh, 13. Okay, this is Daniel. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. That's Jesus, okay? Coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, that's a term or a metaphor for the father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The Jesus coming back 
in the clouds of glory. The next blank in that last section, Jesus gives instructions for living in the present age. Go back to Luke 21, see what it says. Right at the end, he says this. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. And anybody ever had a weighed down heart? Thank you for the honest ones. The rest of you are not telling the truth. If you're living on the same planet that I'm living on, we've all had a weighed down heart. Okay? Be careful. Your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. That word watchful, I think, is important. And then since the COVID thing, I've been saying this. Whatever your prophetic, prophetic, prophetic perspective is, live in day-to-day vigilance with your eyes focused on Jesus. Okay? Whether Jesus is coming back in 20 years or he's coming back tomorrow, okay, aren't we all going to live the same way anyways? At least I hope. I'm going to walk with Jesus and spread the gospel and enjoy him and love other people and point people to Jesus. Whether Jesus is coming back tomorrow or in 20 years, I'm still going to live the same. And this watchful thing, I think, is important uh, for us. The last blank there, Christians are to say no to anxiety and anticipate the second coming by praying and loving others. I'll close with this quote. Worship team, could you come? Uh, Ron Rhodes is on Janet Parshall pretty regularly. He's a good Bible teacher, focuses on prophecy a lot. And let me just give you the quote. Uh, This is one of his books, End Time Super Trends. Okay, he's looking at the world and things that are going on and things that are pointing towards uh, the second coming. And he says this. We find much in 1 Peter 4, 7 to 10, regarding how we ought to live in view of Bible prophecy. Consider these words. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to love, to deeply love each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. And he goes on. It's unfortunate that many people become sensationalistic and alarmist about end-time prophecies. They get so focused on the finer points of prophecy, they forget to pray and love other people. Don't let that happen. Pray always, love always. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words that are prophetic in nature. I ask, Lord, that if we are dull or asleep or wrapped up in the things of this life, that you were quick in our thinking to look at our souls and say, do we know Jesus? Do we know where we're gonna go when we die? Are we focused on stuff in this life? Or have we lifted up our eyes saying, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Pray in this desperate age that the love of Jesus and the hope of Jesus would flow through our lives. In your name we pray, amen.